Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Good afternoon, attendees, and welcome to our session on reinventing cards in the era of digital payments. Uh, I'm Mubashir Kazmi, head of research at the Asian Banker, and I will be your host for the next 60 minutes. With us, we have a very distinguished group of senior executives in digital banking, cards, and lending from some of the leading FIs, card schemes, and technology service providers in the region. They will be sharing with us their perspectives on key issues impacting the ongoing transformation of the payments business and assess some of the different approaches being adopted by various market players in navigating this fast-changing digital payments landscape. So this session will be focusing on leveraging integrated data to offer a better and more, uh, more personalized payment experience that customers desire. Uh, we will also be looking at the pandemic's impact on customer payment experience uh, and holistic card offerings that drive successful customer journeys. Finally, we'll be touching upon how issuers can differentiate themselves in this highly competitive environment. First, allow me to introduce our guests. And with us is Vipin Agrawal, Senior Managing Director and Senior Sustainability Advisor, as well as former Regional Head of Digital Banking, e-payment and personalization at CIMB Bank Berhad. Joining him is Calvin Wong, Head of Digital at RHB Banking Group. Uh, also with us is Franz Verdinand, Head of Card Business at Bank Nabungan Negara. Uh, in, included in, in, in the panel is Vishal Gupta, who's the Regional Director of Digital Consumer Products APAC at MasterCard. As well, we have Albert Naranjo, who's Head of Credit at Tonic Digital Bank. And with him is William Cheung, our Senior Regional Sales Manager, Asia Pacific at Entrust. Thank you all so much for joining us today. And I really look forward to a very interactive and insightful session. Um, as mentioned, we want to keep this uh, very interactive as, as, as interactive as possible, really, for our audience members. So those that have joined us via Zoom can send in their questions through the chat function. Uh, the ones listening through Facebook can also drop their questions in the comments section. Uh, with that said, and also due to some time constraints, uh, I would request that our guests uh, keep to three minutes each for, for their respective responses. So let's get started then. Um, understandably, the payments ecosystem has become quite complex in recent times, and, and this is really due to the rapid growth of digital commerce. Uh, we've seen the proliferation of new payment methods uh, and, and really the introduction of next generation payment infrastructure. With that said, the foundation or the foundational architecture of payment platforms has been designed really for a world of card-based payments. But with the new schemes in place, this payments universe is transforming really by how customers choose to pay. So what we see is now a world that was initially a cash or card-centric one. Uh, you know, it was obviously dominated by the international card schemes but one that is moving towards an increasingly mobile or di digital wallets-based one um, where we see the likes of Alipay or GrabPay. And given this backdrop, we're also seeing the phenomenal rise of digital, digital payment players such as Venmo and PayPal, uh, as well as uh, the use of crypto assets uh, for payments. Uh, and so we're seeing the entry of the likes of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Suffice to say, that you know, globally, cashless transaction volumes are expected to double, more than double rather, by two, 2030. 
And if you look at some of the key markets in ASEAN and specifically Indonesia and Malaysia, that really show how traditional players in these markets have come under pressure, uh, you know, especially with the introduction of all of these different mobile-based payment services that are being offered by technology companies. Now, both Indonesia and Malaysia have shown significant spikes in their e-money transactions with flows likely to hit about 17.7 and, and 2.3 billion in terms of payment transaction volume by the end of this year. With that said, we do see that inadequate card ownership has created the conditions for e-money to become you know, the primary retail payment method. But having said that, the growth in e-money usage hinges on rising card and bank account ownership levels. So funnily enough, e-wallets still need to be linked you know, uh, with bank-run infrastructure to draw funds into their proprietary system, and linking bank cards is a popular way for users to top up their e-wallets. Clearly, the need to modernize has become imperative, and, and this is a requirement for all digital players and banks who are really hard-pressed uh, you know, to achieve the most optimal and effective outcomes for their respective businesses. Looking at some of the major drivers of change, uh, whether it's regulation, technology, innovation, uh, as well as this intensifying competition, there is a need uh, for collaboration amongst uh, banks, the card schemes, and technology service providers to manage this transition. So to kick things off, I would really like to focus on, uh, you know, the, some of the steps that, you know, these, you know, each of our guests' respective institutions are taking to provide uh, a more personalized experience for your customers. So perhaps we can start with you, Vipin. Um, you know, how are you complementing uh, this at, you know, at CIB with the issuance of card solutions that provide customers with that flexibility and that optionality uh, versus the range of other digital payments that are on offer? Yeah, so I, I just uh, quick introduction. I'm Vipin Agarwal. I work for CIMB. CIMB is the second largest Malaysian and uh, fifth largest Russian bank. I was with Citi for a number of years, working in five different markets. Um, so I, I think, uh, um, you know, in my view, we look at the, the payments overall holistically and not just cards. And so we, you talk about online payment uh, through internet banking or mobile banking, talk about debit card and talk about credit cards. Clearly the wallets in the market have taken a large number of uh, transaction shares, which was showed by Mo uh, just earlier. Um, but on our side, uh, the digital growth was going on as it is even before COVID, but COVID has made people to do banking at home. Um, so, so online transactions have gone up, as you saw for the industry for us as well. And then the debit card has also grown. So debit card is uh, growing quite fast uh, for us, like 40 to 60% for last five years. The credit card is a bit of a challenge because uh, credit card has been big in past, but it is the debit and the wallet are chipping away market share. So we are on the debit space, we are really looking at expanding the market. Uh, you know, four, uh, two out of five customers uh, for ATM card use the debit function. Otherwise they primarily use the ATM function. So opportunity is that the people who use ATM card or debit card only as ATM, how do we make them use the card outside? And that has really grown quite nicely in Malaysia context. Uh, where with the chip and pin, the security, uh, which is important to the client, has come in play. And then with the pay wave and uh, the, uh, the rewards and so on, 
the debit card has grown. A challenge is, I, I think, like many banks, is how do you grow the credit card? Uh, because the volume is moving to credit and debit. And that is really about uh, doing partnership, about uh, new products, about features, and then leverage the credit uh, feature, uh, which is only on credit card. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's what we've been doing. Uh, back to you, Mo. Thank you, Vipin. Um, I'd like to bring uh, France uh, in as well. Uh, France, is, is this something that you're seeing as well in terms of uh, you know, the challenges from a, from a cards uh, uh, perspective, specifically credit cards and, and the impact that, that, that it's having on, on transaction volumes? How can you make the, this a, a more personalized uh, experience for your customers? Well, uh, thank you, Bo. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Frank from Bank Tabungan Negara. Uh, in Indonesia, we are uh, the largest of our mortgage bank in Indonesia, and uh, uh, we have a quite unique uh, portfolio because uh, most of our customers are mortgage uh, customers. But uh, uh, to answer the question more, actually, uh, we see uh, uh, we see that uh, this uh, wide range of uh, digital payments is also something that also excited uh, the market and expedite the transition to cashless society. Actually, in Indonesia, we are quite struggling in the past years uh, to how to how to migrate from the cash to cashless society uh, because of the, we have a very very large uh, island, so many island in Indonesia, and we have very uh, geographically challenges. Uh, so uh, it is something that uh, quite. Uh, so uh, having a digital payment uh, has become something that also uh, interesting uh, to educate the market, to educate the customers how to uh, to make them uh, try to to see that uh, digital payment and uh, cashless uh, is something that uh, can provide a solution and space and also more convenience for them. Um, however, uh, uh, given the attack that you previously mentioned that we, we see that current payment still have their own position on the market. Uh, cards, uh, whether it is uh, credit or debit card, uh, has a, still has a bigger access to the customer funds compared to the wallet that uh, only contains small percentage of customers' money. Therefore, uh, we see that card is still uh, has a very important, uh, is still very important for a larger transaction volume and also uh, high ticket items. Uh, uh, even those uh, several years ago, uh, where uh, new payments method uh, are. Uh, coming in Indonesia, now we see there is a there is a, a difference of uh, of behavior where, where customers usually use their wallets and where customers um, um seldom to use uh, their wallets and still and still cards uh, whether it's debit or credit card still has uh, uh being used more frequently uh, like uh, to to purchase fashion uh, restaurants traveling electronics and all the high ticket items uh, cards is still uh, uh, quite uh, prominent there. Um, security is also uh, one thing that uh, we see uh, where transaction our cards has a uh, has a head of the competition uh, because uh, a card still has a bigger uh, security function, especially in Indonesia where uh-huh. when uh, you use a debit cards uh, or credit cards, uh, you you need to have a pin, so as, uh, it's more. Uh, it's more uh, secure uh, to use a credit card uh, and debit cards rather than uh, uh, wallet. Uh, but uh, I think we need to uh, to also catch up on the payment experience and customers yeah. benefit, uh, which currently are the strongest part that digital payments have. Absolutely agree with you, Franz. It's it's that payment experience that that uh, you know some of the some of the players are are having to address, um, and given you know the 
massive amounts of customer data that is being generated. Uh, you know, Calvin, and perhaps I can I can invite you to to weigh in on this. Uh, how are you looking to really apply all of this? Uh, you know, these various analytics uh, so that you can help meet uh, you know those uh, customer needs. Um, and and really help in terms of enhancing the you know the business intelligence uh, at at RHB. Um, so what steps are you taking to to um, to address this? Hey, well, hey, um, well, I guess um, to begin with is that you know FI or banks in general we generate a large amount of data, right? Uh, and we look talking about on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and the data comes in various formats, right? Structured and unstructured. Um, you know, but ultimately, this, these are all the first-party information that really allow us to really gain uh, insights on the customer's preference, um, behavior, and even potentially, you know, identify um, situation that actually wow the customers, the wow moments. But if you look at some of the telemetry um, data as well, uh, it, it could also tell us some of the challenges or the pain points that the customers are facing. But it really requires a fair bit of um, you know, perseverance to actually look into that level of information for us to analyze. So it, it really depends on the level of analytics that you want to go into, the amount of data and the sources of information that you want to capture it. So have, you know, having all this first-party first information may not be sufficient, to be honest. Right? And it just really tells us you know, information that we already know, in a sense. But there are information that we don't know, and that is, and that you know, basically, that's where the opportunity lies in a sense as well. So it's very prudent for us to really go on the ground and uh, get a direct feedback. And I'm sure in this space, um, everyone's doing the same thing: talk to customers, get feedback, um, to try to understand their needs and wants. And typically, this is what what we do as well in our region. And I suppose it's no difference as well with other organization. Um, we take the information essentially and. Um, we slice and dice it in various dimensions, right? And then overlay with up, you know, hypothesis that we have already defined uh, in terms of where you see the opportunity lies as well as the challenges. And then we make a decision whether if it's, uh, you know, uh, allow us to proceed or we, we need, probably need to tweak the hypothesis or the product itself. And, this, and, you know, the cycle will continue, right? To the extent that we um, deliver what we call as you know, minimum viable products and get out there and then again, uh, iterate and you know, process continue. Well. Right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Calvin. Uh, so I'll bring in Albert as well. Albert, uh, looking at uh, you know, the application of these advanced analytics uh, and really looking to build on, on uh, you know, uh, addressing some of the unmet needs that customers have, uh, what is Tonic doing really in, in, in this instance uh, in terms of uh, providing, uh, you know, that, that, you know, high or value-added payments uh, experience, uh, you know, for, for your customers? So, uh, hi, I'm Albert of uh, Tonic Digital Bank. We're the first uh, digital bank of the Philippines and uh, we call ourselves uh, Neobank. So the Tonic approach to banking focuses on uh, Let's say we are marrying the alternate scoring models we have with industry standard processes. We use the raw data of customers on hand to better understand who's the right person to extend a product to. Uh, we study the kind of customers, the demographics and behaviors, and mm -hmm. particularly in how comfortable or um, as a man of credit, uh, 
over comfortable they are with uh, transacting with a purely digital bank. Um, we are always exploring different and effective, co- uh, comfortable ways to cater to the customer. Uh, like what uh, Calvin has pointed out, uh, it's it will boil down to data slicing and uh, mm-hmm. how to reach out to the proper customer. Uh, of course, along with it, uh, you're not just extending your products, you're also extending the risks, right? So, on the other hand, we also use the data that we have to further uh, safeguard, of course, the bank uh, and other uh, capital that we have when extending a loan or, or whatever product we have. Um, yeah. yeah. To, to safely have, have not only a convenient way of reaching out to the customer, but also a secure way on both ends. So uh, mobile phone, payment app behavior, anti-fraud measures, uh, that's all, uh, and data slicing. So absolutely, we all married, we all married those uh, modern tools with mm-hmm. a traditional way. Right, Albert. I think you've hit on uh, some key points, especially you know trying to balance the the security element of it as well as you know ensure a, a, a superior experience really, uh, and getting it right often uh, you know is 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 uh, is not that easy. So I'd like to bring uh, William in in, in this instance. Uh, William, uh, you know, looking at at what we've seen happen during the pandemic, uh, and you know this entire push uh, from customers for this speedy, convenient, contactless payments. Uh, you know, they're asking for this, uh, you know, wow, sort of improved checkout experience. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're seeing all this introduction of all of these different uh, loyalty or incentive schemes. Um, you know, has enough uh, been done? What's missing here in terms of uh, some of the gaps uh, from, from a, a payments experience perspective, uh, following what we've learned uh, during the pandemic? Well, um, thank you very much, Mo. Um, first of all, there, there's no doubt that the pandemic has accelerated a change in consumer behavior uh, towards online and contactless payments. Uh, and I think according to the report from Facebook and Bain & Company, an estimated 70 million more people shopped online in the six Southeast Asian countries of Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam since the beginning of the pandemic. Right. And, and in McKinsey's 2020 global payment report, you know, they forecasted that the e-commerce revenue to be worth some $15.3 trillion by 2023. So, so the growth uh, is definitely aided by the COVID-19 pandemic as consumers are staying home more and, and shopping online you know, rather than at brick and mortar retail stores. Um, so, so digital first is an important evolution, I think, that, that issuers really need to be on top of. Um, however, at the same time, I do believe that the physical card is still an important component of the overall payment credential, right? Customers today want choices as well as immediacy. Uh, so why not offer customers, you know, the choice of both instant digital as well as instant physical card issuance, uh, a hybrid model, if you'd like, you know, for, uh, from account opening, issuers can provide both the physical and digital cards instantly. You know, enabling the customer to transact immediately, uh, be it online, in app, in web payments, or physical stores via contactless mobile or contactless card payment. You know, to me, a successful card offering is one that will meet the needs of the customer regardless of the type of transaction. 
So therefore, choice is important. You know, as each and every customer is unique in their preferences. So I'll, I'll use myself as an example. You know, my primary or go-to credit card is one that satisfies you know my preferences and needs. Um, when I commute to the office, I take the bus and MRT in Singapore. Right? To pay for these fees, I use my plastic card and simply tap and pay using the contactless feature on my card. It's the most convenient form factor and therefore my preferred choice in that particular situation. However, whenever I go and play tennis, for instance, I normally don't bring my wallet, my wallet along. So after a good workout, which means I'm tired, I'm thirsty, and I'm near collapse, uh, I'm drawn to the drinks vending machine next to the court. Now, previously, I had to dig through my tennis bag for the necessary coins, you know, sometimes not having enough money, uh, you know, short by maybe 10 cents, not an optimal experience. Now, recently, the same vending machine has been upgraded to accept mobile payment. I now use the same card that I use for my commute, but provision onto Apple Pay on my phone to make that purchase. It's faster, it's more seamless, and rather than being on the brink of collapsing, I get to quench my thirst just in time. So for this situation, as I always have my phone with me wherever I go, mobile yep. payment is definitely my preferred choice. Now, because the issuer of my card has seen it fit to give me these choices, and of course, along with all the relevant value propositions on that card, I yep. keep this particular card you know, as my primary card at the top of my wallet. Very good. Absolutely. It makes, uh, makes a lot of sense, actually. William, and on that note, uh, we, we're getting a, a question, actually, from, from the audience. Um, and, and this is really on uh, the issuance of um, central banks and them launching their own digital currencies. Um, so the question that has come in, actually, is really around it, the current status in, in APAC, uh, you know, as a payment instrument, as a payment method, uh, what are we likely to see? Uh, you know, is this uh, also going to be another sort of uh, displacement, uh, you know, of, of the different payment methods uh, on offer? Um, so, uh, you know, perhaps I can I can uh, ask Vishal to 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 weigh in on this and on uh, this particular, you know, where where these uh, CBDCs sit compared with all the other different uh, payment instruments. Okay. Uh, hi, Vishal here. I'm, I work with MasterCard. Uh, so I think I'll take the liberty to add my personal views here because uh, not necessarily represent the views of MasterCard. Uh, you know, uh, so I think on this question in particular, I think mm -hmm. at least for AP, I think CBDCs is very, very nascent right now. Right. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, yet to, uh, you know, evolve. Uh, CBDC is definitely a much more stable coin versus say a crypto asset. Uh, and, and there would be in, in eventuality of cards accepting, uh, you know, CBDCs for payments and the ecosystem if, if will evolve. And, you know, building on, the, you know, the conundrum of choice, I think choice is evident. Anything that comes in uh, would be provided to, issuer, to issuers and to consumers to, you know, freely use. And depending on how the growth happens in any market, right, right. Uh, you know, I think the take up will happen. So, so. So there is no, uh, you know, yes or no answer at this stage. I think the question is more on how the regulations evolve and how, uh, you know, the consumer Absolutely. take up happens and the stability of these, uh, you know, newer forms of uh, 
currencies take place. Take place. And on that note also, Vishal, I mean, we're seeing all of these different new sort of initiatives uh, come into play, uh, whether it's, you know, the buy now, pay later, uh, you know, the QR codes, uh, real-time payments, instant payments, um, you know, and then we've got crypto assets as well. So given these, you know, these range of different uh, digital payment uh, options, uh, you know, what value are uh, or potentially could uh, could cards bring or what would be the positioning of cards given all of this that's happening currently, uh, you know, in the, in the digital payments landscape? Okay. Um, so cards, in my view, have a unique positioning here, right? And the well, fact is, hi, can you hear me? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, so... If you look at the way the cards ecosystem has been built over the last 50 years, uh, you know, it, it has a certain benefit in the basic economic model, uh, right? The interchange dynamics, the merchant discount rates, uh, you know, the whole four-party system, right? Uh, you know, the card inherently has, a, has an economic model in a win-win scenario. So what I feel is cards bring much more than just convenience of payments, uh, convenience of, of payments, which I'm sure a lot of digital wallets provide even more conveniently than cards to, you know, in some select markets. Uh, but convenience is one of the features that cards provide. And there's another aspect of value back to the customer right now, whether it's in the form of benefits that issuers uh, give back, uh, you know, it could be, you know, the range of benefits, uh, you know, like cashbacks or loyalty points and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But it also adds the third dimension, which is status and recognition. Now, cards, you know, you you feel some people feel good when they are accepted in a lounge. You know, they want to be treated special when they go to a golf course, right? They want to get a, you know, a special dining uh, sort of a, uh, entitlement, right? So, uh, you know, and they we did some internal research, but, and it has proven that, you know, there is a section of consumers who do recognize cards with you know, status and eliteness, right? So that third element of eliteness. And I think fourth is security, uh, right? So the, the, the over depth of uh, years that we have been playing with cards, I think uh, whether it is the chargeback process, the dispute resolution mechanism, or just the, uh, you know, the benefits of the, you know, the whole uh, security around fraud and cybersecurity, et cetera, uh, I, I think cards have a distinct advantage. So they will, you know, they continue to stay. And like yeah. most of the, uh, you know, like most of the panelists already mentioned, cards also, and you you started the talk by saying that cards still sort of feeds into uh, loading a wallet, right? right? What is the most frequent repayment mechanism on a buy now pay later? It is a debit card, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, cards maybe might not be, getting into the last mile of uh, visibility from a complete merchant, uh, uh, you know, transaction level, but mm-hmm. it, it is still sort of an inherent uh, component into making even the other form factors more successful. Right. So, Vishal, uh, uh, wanted to get your thoughts on, on this as well. Uh, do cards still have an advantage uh, compared with the others? Yeah, I just uh, explained, right? So if you just look at the value locked into the cards ecosystem, uh, the amount of uh, benefits that you, you know, okay, let me let me ask you, you know, a simple question to anyone on the panel, right? You're you if if you are eligible for a, you know, you have two cards, right? One gives you, you know, three percent cashback, the other one gives you one percent cashback, and the you know, this third mechanism doesn't give you anything, right? What will you use, right? So most the value component is 
is is still there you know and mm-hmm. and the value it doesn't need to be in the form of cashbacks you know a lot of stuff which the panelists are trying to speak about in the new form of uh, collaborative uh, you know partnerships that will come into place ultimately you need a economic model going for that right uh, you know consumers might not want a, a reward point or something but consumers might want for example a, a you know a, con- a flexibility in consumer controls right or uh, to do any sort of development to build on any data rich richness that calvin mentioned right mm-hmm. uh, the economic model is is much much stronger for cards and cards to our mind is not just not just physical or digital cards it's also like william said credentials right mm-hmm. ultimately it is a card token that is sitting on back of the apple pay wallet or a, any x pay wallet that is making that seamless uh, you know tap and pay possible so okay. i think it's it's basically moved to a new to an industry of credentials rather than mm-hmm. you know just the regular uh, you know 10 year old card that we used to see uh and and like william mentioned we have a digital first uh, you know extensive focus on digital first when you know issuers struggle to provide uh you know there were a card replacement uh mm-hmm. you know when covid started because you know you really couldn't print cards and courier them out right so so the whole process and the bank needs to be re-engineered to a certain extent you know the application flow the underwriting the ability to instantly give a digital card to, to push provision to a xpay right yeah. and to then engage the consumers through the benefits on the app itself right so the whole process uh, of digitization is is i think quite uh, you know is quite hastened and with the advent of covid and i you know i would say just in last one year i think we have seen at least more than 20 issuers just in asia pacific completely digitizing into it wow very interesting uh thank you thank you vishal uh and and bipin uh, your thoughts and given all of these uh, initiatives that have uh, come in that are coming into play um you know what um, what uh, value or I mean who who do you see uh, moving ahead really given all the range of uh, different payment instruments uh, cards versus the rest i i i think the fact is that uh, the wallets um and as a banker i don't like it that such a large <laughs> number of transactions have gone to wallets and they might be low ticket Uh, and they might not make much money but uh, we all know that alipay uh, has used the transaction data in china uh, very effectively not just for marketing but uh, we you might know there's a sesame score which is a risk credit score alipay score they do based on the transaction and guess right. what just based on the payment transaction data without giving any credit they can actually assess the credit risk of the client and the score is being used in china by traditional bank uh, so when you apply for a loan in china the bank will ask you two things one is a permission to access your credit bureau mm-hmm. the second thing is permission to access alipay or wechat pay score and that score actually helps them define so the transactions having gone to wallet are actually not good for the banks uh, but obviously the wallet player has spent huge kind of money i mean most of the players are losing a lot of money and they can do that because Uh, they have the investor on the back but as bank we have to be profitable we have to have acceptable return right. so uh, so so that is clearly a loss to the banking industry now what is what is come positive for banking industry is that the online transaction uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, internet banking mobile banking they really grown they were growing all along but now they have grown faster because of the covid and because of what banks are doing so i think the online is kind of uh, giving competition to uh the wallet 
But when you talk about debit and credit, I think the debit game is here to play. Debit transactions yeah. are growing, and you showed in your uh, chart earlier that debit transactions growing anywhere from forty to sixty percent. That game is still banks have to play. The credit card is a bit more challenging. But I would say that when I go overseas, I will <laughs> always use credit card. Right? If I go to a hotel, they will not do a pre-auth on anything other than a credit card. Uh, so credit right. card is some of the basic credit features. I don't do it, but client who don't have money to pay, if they get a bill, they can choose. They pay five percent, ten percent, twenty percent. So the payment flexibility is the most one of the very important you know, credit card. Then the, the you talked about the PNPL and this equal payment plan. So Correct. there are things on credit card, uh, but on transactions, it is hard to really compete with the wallets. I would say. Absolutely. Franz, is that even your experience as well in Indonesia, where we've seen the growth of uh, these uh, the wallets and this displacement that is taking place uh, you know, in that market? Would you, would you like to share your thoughts on that as well? Well, uh, I think uh, the, I, I, I have a very much agreement with what uh, official uh, mentioned that uh, actually debit card plays a uh, 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 unique role here in uh, in uh, in the payment. Uh, right. Even though there are uh, there are many payment technology are offered to the, to the, uh, as a solution of payment. Uh, the the unique part of a uh, credit card where we are ahead of is, is in terms of the uh, the security where customer uh, where debit card has a uh, uh, is a very strong on the security. And also the uh, debit cards uh, business model and the four-party models is uh, very sustained. Where uh, many of the uh, digital payment methods are developed with the uh, with the uh, different uh, business uh, where they 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 just try to to have uh, the customers database uh, to to be used for the another purpose of the business. I think that's yes. where we are ahead of. But um, but we also. Uh, have to answer to the challenge that uh, providing a seamless payment journey uh, where customers uh, where, uh, where customers more uh, more convenient to pay depending on uh, where their environments the method of payment uh, not need to be adjust to the payment environment so customers are more convenient and loyal mm-hmm. but also uh, given given all the explanation let's not also forget where uh, the other important factors so uh, that uh, customers' education about uh, transaction security and right. also how we can provide uh, benefit uh, to the customers uh, still uh, very very important factors uh, that that will become a key uh, to separate the position of uh, debit cards and all those uh, uh, digital payments method uh, that currently uh, also struggling in the market. So uh, I think uh, that uh, finally. There will be a place where uh, there will be a situation where customers are more uh, pre- uh, prefer to use uh, debit cards, and there is also a situation where customers are more uh, pre- uh, prefer to use uh, credit cards, as uh, Fipin mentioned, uh, on mm. a hotel and traveling. And also, there, there are there are uh, some environment that maybe uh, digital payments are uh, have a very strength, uh, very strong offer there. Very interesting. Uh, thank you, thank you for that, Franz. Uh, we're actually also getting some uh, a lot of questions from from the audience, and so they're they're quite active, uh, and and some r- really great discussions. Uh, so I'll, I'll probably point that uh, starting with Calvin. Uh, Calvin, based on this uh, this conversation, I mean, uh, and looking at potential synergies that can be exploited uh, amongst all of these different type of uh, payment methods. Um, 
you know, the, the, the question really is, uh, you know, in terms of uh, whether what type of synergies can be, uh, can be exploited or leveraged, uh, and then potentially looking at the loyalty strategy as well, um, you know, which one you see being the most effective, uh, given all these, you know, the different range and options and optionality that, optionalities that exist from a cards perspective. Um, so so the, the question from the audience uh, that we're getting here as well is uh, whether we're looking at cashback versus, um, you know, uh, virtual currencies, you know, whether we're looking at miles, for instance, or spending offers deals, uh, is there a winning formula? Or is it, uh, uh, you know, a lot more nuanced than that? No more, you know what, I, I sort of wish that I could find that answer for you. <laughs> but you know what, one plus one is equals two, and it applies to everyone, I suppose everyone will be a winner here. But uh, I suppose the winner here actually would be customers themselves. Um, essentially, it will be spot for choice, right? Um, it's a good thing that a lot of these products going out in the market, um, be it whatever products that you just mentioned. Um, so, I mean, coming back to, I mean, coming to a question is that, um, I, I guess from, from, from our perspective, from F5 mm-hmm. from, or from our issue perspective, uh, this, this represents opportunity as well as challenges, right? Yeah. The opportunity here in the sense that someone, is, someone be it regulator or be it the market, essentially, um, doing their part in some terms of identifying the needs or recognizing there's a need or even projecting there's a need to address, right? Yep. And coming up with potentially standards, standard rules, um, regulatory guidelines and whatnot, or even capabilities to, 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 to offer to the customers. Um, so there, there, there isn't much of conflict from that perspective, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it, it's truly at the end of the day, it boils down to uh, which of these products or capabilities that actually fit you know, your customer segment in the first place. So we need to understand our own customers, which works for them. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I suppose every organization will have a different size of customers, yeah. different profile, different personas, demographics, psychographics, what have you. These are, you know, by understanding them, it allows us as a product developer at the same time to carve out and customize the product and offer to the to them, right? Correct. Um, so there's no one winning formula, which, I, like I said just now, I wish we, we, we could actually identify it. But mm-hmm. I think it's it really um, coming down to um, finding out uh, which works for your customers. And I think that's important. Right. Can I add something more? Uh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. So this is a classic question, right? If I may <laughs> add to what Calvin said, that is miles better or cashback better or points better? Uh, especially on the credit cards. My own experience is that the, in terms of loyalty, uh, uh, Miles provides the highest loyalty on uses, right. uh, but normally works for the high-end client. Uh, so if you have a good Miles co-brand uh, and customer like it, they will just uh, use it all the time because they're thinking of flying whenever they pick up the card. Um, but when you go into a mass space, then uh, between cashback and point, we have found in my own experience in multiple markets, the cashback, a simple cashback, generally works well because customer can see the money in their wallet. So I thought I'll say that. Absolutely. Uh, th- thank you for that. Um, well, maybe I just, if you don't mind, just just tip you yeah, one more thing. Yeah, no, sure. I think I totally agree with what we've been saying just now, right? Yeah, just just on top of that is that when you talk about loyalty, I think you asked me that question as well. The, when it comes to loyalty, the, the challenge for banks at the same time is it, it's very costly to maintain, um, especially loyalty points and rewards. So you want to manage it. 
So mm-hmm. again, it's coming back to uh, the segments that you want to manage, uh, what the profitability model, whether it makes sense to manage uh, and maintain loyalty points, yep. a loyalty program on the long run, right? Otherwise, it's basically eating to your bottom line. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, thank you for that, Calvin. Uh, so on that note, I'll just uh, bring Albert in. Uh, Albert, looking at uh, potential convergence that we're seeing, uh, you know, among standards, schemes, payment rails, uh, you know, uh, and, and also uh, looking at, uh, you know, this whole uh, uh, push towards, um, uh, you know, from an issuer's perspective, thinking about, say, acquisition versus usage, um, any thoughts really in terms of, um, you know, monetizing um, or, you know, the different sort of suite of payment uh, offerings um, and, and looking at cards in particular, potentially, you know, as a, as a uh, you know, uh, looking at usage specifically as a revenue driver? Uh, yeah, so as what Calvin has said and uh, what the other previous gentleman has been uh, pointing at, right. uh, I wish there was a single approach or a single uh, <laughs> effective model in all this, right? Uh, yeah. But on the other hand, if there was, and we'd all be doing the same thing, right? <laughs> uh, most especially in this uh, pandemic time, our new right. normal. Um, I guess it will just boil down to how we reach to our customers. Yeah. Um, what makes them comfortable? What do they want? And uh, how do we reach to them? So in the in this era of having a substantial amount of data, uh-huh. uh, we cater. Uh, we we make or um, we produce the correct products for them. Uh, I guess even the term cards yeah. is being coined loosely right now. Uh, we have the debit cards, uh, credit cards. I mean, here in the Philippines, um, previously, before the pandemic, I can say that credit card is the way to go. But surprisingly, I guess uh, even uh, the other gentlemen here can attest that uh, the the, the traditional debit card is really holding up well, I guess, even performing well as a payment uh, model, right? Uh, Correct. We have the wallet top-up model, which is surprisingly uh, being utilized more. Um, so uh, to circle back on your question, um, yes, we, we are going to see a lot of, uh, we are going to see a convergence of different standards, schemes, uh, because Previously, we already had roughly a base model or uh, or a palette of of the of what products we have: the typical credit cards, the one with the miles, and then the pandemic hit. So it 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 really reshuffled everything. So uh, which is a good thing in a way, right. a silver lining, right? So uh, it gives us an avenue to be more. Um, critical and uh, aware of what the customers want and how we reach to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. On on that point, uh, thank you, Albert. On that point, uh, William, uh, looking at that experience, that user experience, and as we are sort of shifting to a a more holistic card offering uh, and looking for that point of differentiation, as as we've discussed, I mean, there's perhaps no one sort of winning formula. Um, 
uh, you know, and uh, to add to that also, because we, we, we've gotten, we're getting a question also from the audience in terms of, uh, you know, the, the likely future of credit cards. Um, you know, I mean, because we, we've spoken about how, say, debit is well positioned, uh, given, uh, you know, the, the BNPL sort of uh, structure or model. So how do you see this uh, evolving? And, and what would yeah. be that point of differentiation? Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, so earlier I spoke about uh, offering a hybrid model, you know, of issuing both a digital and a physical card instantly. Uh, as an issuer, basically, you want to get the payment credential in the hands or the mobile phone of the consumer as soon as possible uh, so that they can start transacting right away and, and maybe push that, that credential to, you know, Apple Pay or, and so on and so forth. Uh, ma maintain that that top of wallet positioning. So in mm. my my opinion, uh, that in itself is is a point of differentiation. But um, if you want to take that holistic card offering to the next level, you know issuers can actually improve the physical card's relevance uh, yep. by adopting some of those features that you know fans of digital wallets enjoy. For example, uh, the ability to update card functionalities uh, in real time. You know, the control of the payment credentials, such as blocking your card or specific transaction types, um, you know, uh, such as uh, con contactless or online transactions, you know, the ability to push one's credentials to global wallets uh, mm -hmm. and merchants using tokenization, you know, those, those kind of features. And, and this, to me, uh, can be achieved by, by pairing the physical card with the mobile banking app or wallet. You know, we've seen some of the digital or, or new banks, uh, in fact, embracing uh, this enhanced hybrid approach. Excellent. Uh, on that, uh, just to follow up, and given uh, you know what we're seeing, and, and you've mentioned this, you know, hybrid approach. Um, uh, so, so uh, uh, Vishal, probably I'll, I'll ask you to to jump in on this one. But you know, given this uh, uh, competition that we're seeing, the disruption uh, in payments, uh, what adjustments do you think card issuers need to take really uh, going forward in, you know, this year and, and, and beyond? Um, and, you know, how do you see, say, uh, cards versus a uh, credit card, excuse me, versus a debit card and potentially uh, building up, uh, you know, the actual usage uh, and driving usage uh, as, a, as a contributor to revenue? So uh, I think uh, William touched upon, upon it and a few other panelists as well. Uh, so just coming, you know, continuing from the previous point of, uh, you know, a holistic sort of card offering, uh, you know, and, and kind of tying it up here. So mm -hmm. I you know the, the lines between what a credit card is and what a credit line is and what an installment line is, is blurring. Uh, right. So what is happening is, and, and we've launched a couple of programs in Hong Kong last year, one with mocks. What, what they did is, uh, you know, the same card, you can access your funds in your bank account, or you could access funds in your credit line. Same card. You can just and switch it on off within the app. You can link your card instantly within the app to draw money out of your credit line or draw money out of your bank account. Right. So, Mm -hmm. To certain, sometimes in some markets, few rules need to be rewritten uh, as these lines are blurring. Uh, that's uh, that's one point. Second is I think uh, you know just for making card propositions holistic and you know not having the debate of points versus uh, miles versus cashback. Uh, we in fact uh, have a, a product uh, which one of the largest issuers in Thailand used last year. 
where at a cardholder level, a customer can choose what rewards program they want to get into. Mm-hmm. Right. So a customer chooses on the card. Okay, I want a miles-based card program, or I want a, a cashback card program. Right. Uh, I could even go to the extent of saying, okay, I want a travel insurance, or I want a, a you know free lounge access. Right. So uh, you know, so these are the kind of disruptions that are taking place in the market. Uh, the the largest banks probably in largest bank probably in Asia Pacific, Commonwealth Bank of Australia. already has on their uh, card a choice given that you could join com rewards combank rewards or you could take the contest points rewards right so you know so that's how you know this is all coming together in terms of uh, you know creating creating opportunity out of disruption mm-hmm. uh, and and the real winner of in terms of revenue is is the one that will get the customer to be more sticky with them So guess where you want to be your credit card with? It should be with your main financial institution, right? It sh- you would like it to be with your banking institution. There are individual card credit companies. There are separate banks, right? But somewhere, someone who can offer a one-stop shop with either through partnerships or on their own, I think will be the winner in the end uh, in terms of creating the uh, higher share of wallet of the consumer. Very good point. Um, and on that note, actually, I'll bring in uh, uh, Vipin here. Uh, Vipin, uh, and we're also getting a very interesting question, and, and perhaps uh, William can uh, can follow up on this as well. But Vipin, uh, so there's a question from the audience on uh, the potential of fingerprint cards, or rather, smart cards, uh, as they're being positioned. Um, any thoughts on these type of innovations uh, as also a potential point of differentiation? Yeah. Um- Actually, when our city, city of Singapore launched this card, where uh, the 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 physical card stays in the wallet, mm-hmm. and you can just touch your uh, finger uh, on the uh, on the terminal of the uh, merchant, uh, and it looked very uh, hot and sexy. Uh, you know, and maybe it was ahead of its time, but it was shut mm-hmm. within a year. And and the reason it was the problem is that you have thousands and thousands of merchants. In your own country and in uh, overseas, and trying to change the merchant infrastructure to, let's say, accept fingerprint uh, is a is a, Vishal will confirm is is a huge thing worldwide. So I think uh, there will be some innovation, uh, but to me, unless it can be used uh, across a large number of merchant, uh, it does uh, become complicated on especially on the fingerprint cards. Uh, but this was our experience like ten years back. Yeah. Well, uh, William, uh, did you want to weigh in on this? Uh, I, I think I think uh, Vipin uh, hit it right on on the mark. You know uh, how um, you know how prevalent can you actually use that? And secondly, the card itself. You know um, how expensive is that? Uh, I think a fingerprint card might be the one that authenticates your your fingerprint on the card itself. Uh, at this point, it's probably quite an expensive uh, uh, product to to have. So, um, yeah, I think it's some some will be uh, very good, and uh, others maybe just a little not not quite as feasible at this point. Right. Okay. And and uh, really, uh, uh, in terms of uh, you know the partnerships and uh, in the, the ecosystem, uh, uh, you know, any uh, thoughts uh, you know in, uh, to help all the issuers in terms of maintaining their competitive position. Uh, given all of this disruption that we're seeing in payments, uh, William. 
Sorry, could you repeat that? I just couldn't hear you just now. Sorry. Oh, sure. Uh, the question was really how can issuers really expand or build on their, uh, you know, partnerships, uh, you know, across the payments ecosystem to maintain their position, uh, you know, particularly from a cards perspective. Yeah, no, I, I think um, what it comes back to is really a constant improvement in the payment experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the issuers really need to get closer to their customers uh, and, and you know, working through, you know, third, uh, third parties uh, to be able to provide better products, you know, better offers, services and engagements and interactions, you know, at the right time. Uh, and, uh, and, and also when it comes to, you know, what I talked about earlier, you know, this digital first um, uh, transitioning, yeah. uh, you really need to find the right uh, partner to execute on that. Uh, you know, digital first is a, is a great uh, concept uh, to be able to offer to, you know, consumers, you know, the, the ability to push your, your card, the tokenization and all that. But when it comes to actually executing it, it's actually quite a lot of effort and, and, and a lot of um, um, uh, a lot of time and, 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 and resources required. So you really need to find the right partner for, for doing that kind of uh, engagement. Um, right. So at, at Entrust, you know, we do have the, the solutions that enables issuers to offer, you know, uh, all of these kinds of uh, you know, choices, especially digital first type of uh, initiative. So um, I would say, you know, talk to, you know, Entrust uh, as one ideal partner because of, of the fact that we have done uh, a number of uh, previous uh, integrations uh, with many of the payment ecosystems uh, today. Uh, and uh, we'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, to help you. Right on. Thank you. Thank you, William. Um, we're actually also getting an, a, another question. It's, it's been a very lively audience. I'm really excited about that. Um, so the question is, and, and perhaps I can, uh, I can get uh, Calvin or Franz or, or both of you actually to, to weigh in on this. Uh, and it also speaks to the risks, right? Uh, so uh, digital risk and, and, and the fact that you want to offer a safer and more secure payment for, for your customers. So perhaps Calvin, I'll start with you and then uh, uh, you know, uh, looking at some of the challenges in terms of fraud, uh, card fraud, um, you know, can you identify, you know, what are some of the biggest risks that you're seeing, particularly from a fraud perspective? And, um, and, and you know, looking at uh, how these can be addressed, really. Sorry. Um, I would say, I would say uh, three things, actually. Um, communicate communicate and communicate, or you can replace it with education. Um, because I suppose, um, you know, the technology is out there to yeah. mitigate or at least prevent, um, you know, all these potential frauds and whatnot. But it really boils down to, um, you know, the end users uh, at the same time, right? Um, it would be as good as, dev- I mean, as worse as, not really as good, but it's as worse as divulging your own personal details as well. So if we, we could put top of the line, you know, um, first-class uh, defense system or solution out there. But at the same time, that's the education is not quite there yet. And customers or users at the end of the day um, are not, um, how do I put it, uh, aligned with that. And, you know, they still continue to put themselves at, at risk, divulging their personal details, um, editing theft, right? And we have all these, all these issues going on at the same time where uh, application is not, actually done by the actual customer themselves. So it will be fairly difficult, right? So it has to be both sides. Besides um, technology that we put in place, at the same time, we also need to make sure we continuously educate the customers on how to safeguard their own, be it 
you know, whatever accounts, transactions, and so on and so forth. I think these, these are all critical stuff. Absolutely. Uh, and France, uh, also on the security aspect, security piece, in terms of uh, protecting customers? Well, uh, it is uh, uh, an interesting thing uh, to discuss because our title risk is something that also has to be executed carefully. So we don't want to ruin the customer experience. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, they are like uh, to set up two sides of a coin. So uh, it's something that needs to be uh, choose within a uh, seamless customer journey or uh, uh, security. And I think the key is uh, how we can develop a good and adaptive, adaptive risk management system. And, yeah. and also uh, customer education uh, is also very important thing. And I think there's a quite, uh, quite unique, uh, uh, quite unique uh, market adaptation in Indonesia because uh, some of the e-commerce in Indonesia also uh, having like a, um, uh, adaptive uh, risk management uh, and where, where customers, uh, uh, where they, they, the system can identify also where the customers uh, are attempted to use OTP and uh, some after session are not attempted and not to use OTP. It is actually uh, quite uh, quite convenient in terms of payment, but turns mm-hmm. out uh, so many times I spoke to the customers and or the stockholders, not very not, uh, not very much people, and so, so uh, there, are, there are many people are not uh, very confident also about it. So I think uh, uh, we need to develop uh, something that uh, tailor to the customer, where customers can define their uh, their uh, risk uh, management, where maybe uh, on the on the on their uh, mobile phone or uh, mobile apps, uh, customers can choose what are the type of uh, security that they want to employ uh, for themselves. Some are uh, some are uh, more uh, convenient with the with a tight uh, risk, but uh, some customers are uh, are more confident on the loose uh, uh, loose uh, customer uh, and more convenient uh, method of payment. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, develop, developing something that uh, really uh, can be adjusted to the, to the customers and where customers can adapt, uh, our customers can choose what are the security lever that they want to employ. I think uh, uh, I think would be a thing that we need uh, to uh, to have uh, definition. Very interesting. Thank you for that, Franz. And uh, actually, we're getting uh, a last question that's just, that has just come in and uh, a little uh, stretch for time, but uh, I'll still open this up to the panel, uh, to, to the guests, uh, Vipin or, or Vishal, either of you would, you would like to take this. Um, so the question from the audience is, historically, card retention has been one of the most uh, critical factors to drive profitable card portfolio. Uh, so how has this last wave of digitization impacted ways to improve average customer life? So if uh, either of you would like to, uh, to have a stab at that um, one. Um, I can talk about, the, so uh, I mean, mm-hmm. um, the, the retention is a challenge and uh, depending on the bank, they have uh, five to 20% uh, customer losing and uh, credit card acquisition mm-hmm. is expensive proposition. So retaining is important. So it, I, I have uh, two uh, dimensions. One is if the product appeals to the client, and I talked about the miles. So customers who love miles, they will not cut their card because they just want to earn miles. So either it relates to the, the, the feature of the product. The second, which is relatively new, is the whole personalization piece. How do you make the customer uh, you know, uh, comfortable, convenient, and give him what he needs? And, and credit card customers hate when they miss a payment by a day and they get a late payment charge and so on. So, so some of the personalization thing, and some can be very basic. 
I mean, I send you payment confirmation when you when I receive the payment versus you waiting for the statement later, or I give you a reminder for your bills to be paid. So, for example, what we did in CIMB was that uh, we know, let's say, a customer pays ten days before uh, the due date for a telephone bill, then we send a reminder ten days before for that client, and 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 therefore they don't miss payment on 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 time. So to me, the features or the uh, the personalization are two way to reduce uh, attrition. All right. I like to add on to what Fipina said. No. Oh uh, yeah, go for it, Albert. Yeah. Um, I think historically, card retention has been really one of the uh, one of the most critical factors, right? And uh, I don't think it has changed ever <laughs> ever since, eh? even in this pandemic time. Uh, I think. The thing is, we just have to be more creative and more flexible on how to approach and how to again reach out to our customers. Uh, it's just that it's like a language, so basically the language just changed, right? But it's still the same. The issue is still the same. So okay. it's all about retention, and we just have to always get our message across to our customers and yeah, reach to them, uh, give them what they want, but give them what they want safely and securely uh, for both parties, like the customer and the bank itself. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Albert. And, and with that, I'm being flagged for time here. And I, I know that we can continue to talk about this the whole day. <laughs> there's just there's a, lot, uh, to, a lot of ground to cover. But, uh, you know, with that said, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly well established. I mean, everybody uh, has sort of reiterated, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of the role that cards has, it still has a has a role really to play within, uh, despite uh, this uh, evolving digital payments landscape. So, looking at how to reimagine uh, or reimagining its position uh, is is critical. Uh, you know, I'm sure that you know the digital banking and card teams uh, across uh, the region are are looking and working at this to you know to ensure that those customer pain points are being addressed. That the communication in, uh, is in place. Uh, and you know, and you're tempering that or balancing that also with uh, you know with the safety and security of the transaction. Given how everybody's now uh, positioned for for digital first, uh, uh, while also pro you know providing a very seamless, uh, intuitive uh, payment experience. Uh, with that said, uh, I would like to thank each one of you uh, for having joined us for the session. Uh, we hope that the audience has really benefited from the insights and the thought leadership that our guests have shared uh, and their perspectives. I'd like to remind everybody that uh, we do have a recording which will be available uh, on, our, on the Radio Finance website for download and playback. Um, and uh, also invite everybody to register for our upcoming sessions. Uh, I want to thank everybody for, for uh, joining us today and have a great day ahead. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.